Welcome to the State Historical Society of North Dakota's podcasts. Double Ditch is a spectacular earth lodge village occupied by the Mandan Indians for 300 years. From 2001 to 2004, archaeological investigations were conducted at Double Ditch State Historic Site under the direction of Dr. Stanley A. Ayler of the Paleocultural Research Group. This was a collaborative project among the State Historical Society of North Dakota, PCRG, University of Missouri, and the Archaeoimaging Lab at the University of Arkansas. What follows is an interview with Dr. W. Raymond Wood from the University of Missouri during these 2002 excavations. In the late 1700s, the Mandan were living in the general vicinity of Bismarck in a variety of villages. Uh, Some people say there may have been as many as nine. Some people suggest there may have been as many as 13. But this was the heart uh, of the Mandan universe. The Heart River was so named because the Mandans regarded that as the heart of their universe, and their villages were scattered on either side of the heart, um, on the east bank of the Missouri River, uh, here at Double Ditch, Larson, which is north of here, uh, on the other side of the river, on a slant, Matsuf, Boli, scattered village within the uh, city of Mandan. Um, this was a very, very populous place with a population figure of many thousands of Mandans. Uh, they were prosperous traders, traded with the Sioux to the west, and the Crows to the Sorry, the Sioux to the east, the Crows to the west, and other uh, groups to the north and south, and they were very, very prosperous, very, very wealthy individuals, peoples. In 1781, a smallpox epidemic arrived in this area, uh, either from Minnesota, where the uh, Sioux were suffering smallpox, epidemics, or from the American Southwest, where Pueblo Indians were just dying by the thousands. And both of these groups were in indirect contact with the Mandans, so the epidemic could have come in from Minnesota or from New Mexico. We really don't know. In a sense, it doesn't really make any difference because the end result was the same. These nine or 13 villages were so reduced in population that the survivors of these villages came together into two villages and moved upriver to get away from the Sioux and uh, where there was safety in numbers. Uh, The Hadatsa had not been quite so uh, hurt by the smallpox epidemic and the Mandans felt a little safer around their friends, the Hidatsas. So they moved up to uh, mouth of the Knife River, settled into two villages just below the mouth of the Knife. But I've run ahead of my story. Here at Double Ditch, the, uh, it's been known for well over a century as an important Mandan village. It was very early recognized that there were two fortification ditches here, uh, which led to its being called Double Ditch. Many years ago, at the turn of the century, it was called the Bourgeois Site. Uh, I'm not sure why, perhaps after a landowner. Uh, I have to look into that. Uh, 
In any case, it is a very large double ditched site. There may have been at one time as many as 180 houses here. That's subject to a little interpretation. But still, uh, it covered a very large area, very, very large number of houses, and probably over 2,000 people lived here. Uh, and at the time it was occupied, that was significantly larger than St. Louis. St. <laughs> Louis was a town in the 1790s of only about 1,200 people. So we had a real metropolitan area here. In 1905, a local resident who was going to school at Harvard, George Will, who is probably known to everyone in Bismarck, uh, George Will went off to Harvard for uh, an education and he met there a uh, fellow student named Herbert J. Spinden. And they both came under the influence of an early anthropologist there who encouraged them to come to North Dakota and study Mandan culture. Uh, which they did. Uh, they spent the summer of uh, 1905 doing considerable work here at this village. They cross-trenched one of the refuse middens, tested one of the houses, cross-trenched one of the fortification ditches, and some other tests. They went back to Harvard, wrote their report, and it was published the following year in the Peabody Museum series which I like to tell my students is not bad for a couple of undergraduate term papers. Uh, in any case, that was the really pioneer archaeological work in this state that really started serious archaeology here. But for all of that, the Double Ditch remained untouched professionally until this summer. It's been almost a century since Will and Spinda did their work here. And quite naturally, in that century, there's been a lot of changes in archaeological techniques, understanding of the past, of prehistory, archaeological techniques have changed. Everything's changed in a century. So the State Historical Society has embarked on a project to reinvestigate some of the state historic sites uh, and bring their interpretations uh, up to snuff, up to modern standards at least. Uh, some years ago we dug at Minokan. We discovered the Minokan site was not the village occupied by Verandri, which a lot of us knew, but we were able to prove it. Last summer we dug at uh, Fort Clark and just expanded a good deal of our knowledge about Fort Clark and its history. Uh, this summer we have made some very interesting discoveries at this site. It's being excavated under the direction of Fern Swenson and uh, Paul Pika of the State Historical Societies, Society uh, in conjunction with Dr. Stan Ayler of Paleocultural Research Group, a nonprofit group in Flagstaff, Arizona, who is contracted with them to do the work. Uh, I have come up, I'm Ray Wood from the University of Missouri. I've come up here with my archaeological field school, uh, donated that to the project. Another 18 students from the University of Missouri and the University of Kansas, which permitted us to get quite a bit of work done. Uh, we also have volunteers, uh, quite a number of volunteers have shown up from as far away as St. Louis, Minneapolis, 
California, <laughs> people who are just interested in this site. It's easy to see why the site arouses that kind of interest because I've, I've always liked to say that it's one of the most spectacular surface archaeological sites on the continent, at least certainly north of Mexico. Uh, it has no monuments like Cahokia or some of the great mound centers. It doesn't have cliff palaces, but if you look across the surface of this site, uh, it's, it awes every archaeologist sets foot on it. It awes me every time I set foot on it. It's, it is currently a state historic site, but it will be very shortly uh, nominated for national landmark status. And I've suggested to Merle that uh, World Heritage Site would not be unreasonable. I think it really, really does merit that. All right, so some 2,000 people were living here historically when smallpox struck the area. Uh, at some time in the past, it seems that there may have been a pre-1781 epidemic. There are very good clues in the uh, traders' accounts up here that there was an epidemic about 1750. And if I were to rashly guess, this isn't something I would put in a publication, uh, was that the uh, 17 built village was here before 1750. And after 1750, the population reduction forced them to move into the inner of the two ditches here. I'm just speculating now, but it's at least a plausible hypothesis. Then in 1780, when uh, the, that epidemic struck, uh, the survivors would have had to move upriver. Lewis and Clark mentioned this village in their uh, journals, and on William Clark's map, this is specified, this village is identified as Old Mandan Village Killed by the Sioux, which suggests that the Sioux had come in here after the smallpox epidemic and given the <laughs> pitiful survivors here uh, so much problems that they simply moved away. What's really remarkable about this site is it's A, its history, its size, and how conspicuous it is. But this summer, we discovered that it is not double ditch in any real sense. There are two additional ditches here. There's a third ditch outside the outer ditch, and a fourth uh, ditch outside that ditch. Uh, these two outer ditches are absolutely invisible on the on air photographs and walking across the ground, but they were identified this summer by a, another group that's involved in this project, and that's Dr. Ken Kavami of the University of Arkansas, who, with his wife Joanne, uh, spent several weeks here this summer and also several weeks last summer doing magnetometry surveys of the site. Magnetometry essentially measures minute deviations in the Earth's magnetic field that are caused by cash pits, burned area, large rocks, metal, and so forth. And uh, Dr. Kavami's magnetometry revealed these two outer ditches, one of them with bastions very much like that at the Huff site, which really set us got our attention, as, as we like to say, uh, because those kinds of fortifications with bastions of that nature 
may go back to 1400, as early as 1400 to 1450. So we are now thinking that this village may have been founded uh, prior to the time of Columbus. And the two outer ditches seem to be the oldest ones because they are absolutely filled with trash. And the suggestion is that they were they successively moved their trend, their fortification inward and filled those outer ditches with trash. Uh, mainly, I think, if it was me, I would want those trenches filled so people couldn't hide in them and, uh, you know, in attacks on the, on the village. So these outer ditches have changed our conception of how far upriver the Mandans were living in the 1500s. Uh, we used to think uh, they were living essentially south of Bismarck. This really changes all that if these ditches are indeed that old. And there seems no reason at this moment to doubt it. Although we're going to wait for radiocarbon dates to uh, get very public about it. <laughs> but it has massively, it has not revolutionized the archaeology here, but it has led to significant modifications in the kinds of models we use to look at Mandan prehistory.